Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Uh, 2020, it's nearly over. What a year. Intense, worrying, wearying. The last 12 months have had more unpredictable twists and turns than the coastal roads of Southern California. It's been exhausting. I recently received a note from a friend which said this. Ethan, I'm collapsing. I'm collapsing because of the news, because of my idiotic friends who have become monsters on social media, because of all the significant questions I cannot answer. But I'm also collapsing because of the weighty expectations that I have for myself, the expectation to know everything about an entirely new virus the expectation that I must prevent all illness from invading the bodies of all my loved ones, the expectation to read all of the right articles and do exactly as they say, the expectation to vote the right way for all the right reasons and then defend those right reasons with utter certainty. And then there's the expectation to publicly point out all false information in order to save lives. In other words, I'm collapsing because I'm trying to play God and I'm not very good at it. Do you understand? Yeah? Do you remember what Shakespeare wrote in the play Henry IV? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Don't we know it? Uh, It is a curious impulse that when a crisis strikes, we frequently seek to control the often uncontrollable elements. In short, we feel that to some degree we must play God and reach beyond our responsibility as stewards and bear the attributes of the Almighty. When a crisis strikes, we must be omnipotent, that is, all-powerful, shielding ourselves and our loved ones from all potential sources of harm that might befall us at any given moment. We must be omniscient, that is, all-knowing, and understand every aspect of this particular virus, the damage it can do, how it can be avoided, and the potential injuries to personal liberties as well as the economy of certain legislation is enacted. We must be immutable, that is, unchanging, unwavering in our perspectives, our rightness and our self-assurance. We must be sovereign, a supreme governor, managing everything from health to holiday gatherings. And worse than that, managing everybody's feelings about health and holiday gatherings. And lastly, our favorite, we must be the judge. The one to whom all hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hid. From that lofty posture, we can scrutinize, rightfully of course, 
not only people's behavior, but their unseen and unspoken motivations as well. Behold our God project, our attempt to wear the gilded crown, if only we were good at it. But in truth, as many of us have learned and relearned, it is quite difficult to manage ourselves, our moods, our opinions, our behaviors, let alone the whole planet. And so after a litany of failures and frustrations, we, per- we partially retire, partially retire from the God Project and, well, project that project onto others, like our leaders. Ah, our leaders, those people who make the big decisions. Politicians, authors, social media elites, teachers, administrators, analysts, doctors, and yes, even the clergy. Perhaps we should bring forth the royal diadem and crown them lord of all. We often do that, at least functionally. We have dizzyingly high expectations for those who lead us, and yet no matter whom we vote for, pray for, or work for, each of them, just like us, flunks the test of godhood. And when our leaders fail to be the gods that we wanted them to be, we often ruminate as to why, and then we resent and then we rage. Why didn't they instinctively know what to do? Why couldn't they predict with specificity the outcomes of every one of their decisions? Why weren't they perfectly consistent with their core principles? Why didn't they think exactly what I thought and think it when I thought it? Well, this human tendency to crave the crown or to begrudgingly throw it to somebody else has been with us from the near beginning of our existence. That's why we read from the salvation history of Holy Scripture this evening. Tonight we are reminded that our ancientest of ancestors sank their teeth into forbidden fruit because they believed it guaranteed a divine enlightenment to know as God knows. Later, at the towering ziggurat of Babel, we sought to create a name for ourselves and make our egos reach up into the heavens, dethroning the Almighty. Still later, at the roots of a trembling mountain called Sinai, we worked hard to establish our own credibility by keeping the law. These are attempts to grab the crown of heaven, but we are very much like the legendary Icarus, who fashions wings from feathers and wax and soars beyond his limitations, only to sense in mid-flight that his new apparatus is melting in the heat of the noonday sun. The difficult truth is that we were never made to wear that crown, and when we try, we break down and become terribly hurt. But now tonight enter Christmas, this wild moment that thwarts and overturns our God delusions forever. The untidy unpredictability of Christmas can be summarized this way. While humans were busy trying to become God, God was busy becoming human. We read it aloud every Christmas Eve, and we will later tonight. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does this mean? Simply, though profoundly and mysteriously, it means that the actual God, like the real one, the genuine article, the omniscient, omnipotent, immutable sovereign and judge, the great I am that I am, became 
in his own bizarre wisdom, a little Mediterranean peasant boy. Well, not at first. Before that, he was a zygote, and then a fetus suspended in a sea of amniotic fluid. And then, through the body of a real woman, he entered the world and opened his infant retinas to behold it. And there he was surrounded not by cribs and wooden mobiles and and, and Crayola crayons, but by dung-sodden farm furniture. While we were busy chomping on forbidden fruit and building ziggurats and drinking Gatorade in order to climb Mount Sinai, God was shrinking down to almost nothingness, so small that we almost missed him when he showed up. Well, Christmas, friends, Christmas smashes the idols of God that we have so often built up in our anti-Christmassy imaginations. Very often when we think of the ultimate, the ground of being, God the Father, the Almighty, uh, we create vague mental images of shimmery Instagram deities or a deity who sits amidst flattering and well-lit haze, the haze of heaven, He is an eternal principle of endless consistency. This shiny God is, of course, very smart and, in fact, caring. He loves us in an unspecific but sentimental manner and loves with class and great care. After all, he's a God of cool remoteness and elegance, like a British monarch who knows the purpose for each of the six dinner forks. Thus, he's someone with whom we cannot really bond. He is a God whose bleach-white nature makes us feel like we will always remain a solar system away from him, and maybe, after all, that's for the best. That way, we don't ever stain him, and he never hurts us. Well, whatever that portrait is, it's not a portrait of the God of Christmas. The Christmas God is the one who prefers to breathe in the stale air of first-century Judea. And rumor has it that the first century was even worse than 2020. He lives amidst the cold cobblestone streets and unplanned pregnancies and hotel doors that slam shut in a young mother's face. He is the god of a terrified blue-collar family who lives in a burned-over district of a lackluster country peppered with terrorist cells and ruled by a slobbering, psychopathic, tinfoil hat-wearing king. He's the god who shows up at this unseemly hour an hour in which he was not welcome. The maker of the moon shrivels down into an 18-inch infant who wheezes in the dark. And we are so often driven to appear strong and so terrified to be weak. But God is not. And when we didn't have the strength to be weak, God became weak for us. Flesh for us. And thus Christmas relieves us of a heavy golden burden. Tonight, heaven seeks after your relief. Essentially saying in this holy day, you aren't the sovereign, nor the driver of destiny. You are not the captain of your fate, nor the master of your soul, even though that was in a really neat poem. You are not the all-seeing eye. You are not the aching atlas that lifts up the globe. You never had to be any of these things. Then who are we? We are Tiny Tim. We're the limping kid with the careworn crutch. 
We are the broken apprentices of Icarus. We are the lost boys and lost girls of a forgotten Eden. We are sad and we're sick and we're bruised and we're hiding and we're alone. Well, we were alone, but not anymore. Because while humans failed at being God, God succeeded in being human. As it turns out, this baby, this God made flesh, a God of decaying DNA and 10,000 vulnerabilities, has forged an eternal solidarity with us. His incarnation is a visible vow from an everlasting heaven that says, I am with you from the cradle to the graveyard and beyond it. The crown of heaven is fit for and rests upon only one head, the brow of one man, Jesus of Bethlehem. And it is true, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Before Christ got his gold, his middle-aged scalp was crowned and scraped with briars until his blood stopped flowing. He died under the weight of a thorny diadem. Yet as we learn from Easter morning, eternity doesn't stay dead very easily. And at this very moment, the Bethlehem Messiah is the sovereign and undying emperor of life, and his new and resplendent crown is gorgeously adorned with strange jewels, and all of them, every last one, is chipped, fractured, clouded, and pasted together. The kind of stones you find in a children's toy box or gracing the floor of a salvation army. And that's us. Every one of us. We are his broken, beloved gems. And we have become his glory. And we are resplendently beautiful because the pardoning sovereign says that we are. And the words from the incarnate word are the only words that count for all time. So friends, comrades, siblings, may we this Christmas be unburdened from the incessant quest for the crown. You can even dare to just be a human being, a person, dare to be incomplete, dare to be frail, dare to be limited. We have especially in our current moment, a beautiful opportunity to be simple, imperfect stewards within the world that God so loves, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, figuring it out as we go under the lordship of the one who gave his all for us. So be merciful to yourself this season and merciful to those who lead you. By doing so, you will, with increasing clarity, bear the image of the one who, in turn, bore your image as well. We are, after all, only human. And God knows all about it from his own experience. This is Christmas solidarity from the Word made flesh. He was born for you. You are seen. You are found. You are pardoned. You are cherished, you are included, you are chosen, and you are loved irrevocably. So Merry Christmas. Amen.
took your life they could not take 